Fuck, I can't do it. <laughs> I used to be able to. I used to be pretty good at that. I think it needs a beat, though. It's just a hi hat. <laughs> yeah, screw that. We are back. It's the Wild Times episode fourteen. I am back for my expedition in Alaska. Still have all my fingers and toes. Wild Times. It comes back to life. Launches towards him, and wait for it. Bites his nipple clean off. <laughs> <laughs> I am joined today, as always, by Mr. Peter Fitzer. What's up, Peter? Hello. Good day, gentlemen. Good, happy Sunday, happy weekend, happy 4th. Yeah. Happy to have you back, Forrest. And happy birthday, America. And on that note, we are joined by Mr. America himself, Patrick DeLuca. What's up, man? Well, thanks for acknowledging that. Uh, Good, good. Good to have you back. Glad to hear that you have your fingers and toes. Let's get right into it, man. I mean, look, I got drunk all weekend uh, (laughs) hanging out on a a boat. What did you do? (laughs) I hung out on a boat, but mostly freezing my ass off. <laughs> Patrick, I know I was sending you pictures while we were up there. It was uh, it was awesome, man. Alaska was tough. Um, I got to say, it's a great place to be for Fourth of July. But it's funny going into this into this shoot. I was talking with Mitch and the guys, and I was being like, "Guys, it's gonna be such an easy one. Like, we're gonna actually be staying at a lodge, which is you know a nice change from living in hammocks and tents, and everything's like pretty close proximity. Like, the longest thing away is like five hours." Like we're in we're in great shape, and they're like, "Fuck yeah, we're stoked on an easy one." It was next to Myanmar, which we've talked about, the hardest shoot that any of us have ever done. Wait, why is that? What made it? What made this one hard? So one, it was freezing cold because we're up near the Arctic Circle, and it's a dive shoot. So we're spending so much time in the water, just shivering cold. Um, Romanov, our underwater DP. He got uh, a respiratory infection, so for seven of the 14 days, he was completely out. Like, we thought he definitely had COVID, thought he was going to die. Um, Couldn't evacuate him because uh, we were so far out. And uh, if he had COVID, evacuating him would have exposed us to it. So we were down to just three of us that were actually, like, working. So it was just me, Mitchell, and Johnny. And we were, like, 18 to 19 hours per day because the sun never goes down. Uh, just Johnny in the water with me, just Mitchell topside. And then the guy who was running the place was a freaking nightmare. So, you know, Patrick and Peter, you guys probably get this. Like when we're on a, an expedition, we use a local like fixer or helper or something like that to try and help coordinate everything. Well, this guy wanted creative input on the show. Oh, he, God. He was on, oh my God. He, 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 only, he only wanted to drive the boat like three hours a day. And then he's like, <laughs> time to go back, guys. It's been a long day. Ugh. Oh, man, it was just a nightmare. So he had this little skiff, this little, like, 15-foot skiff. Keep in mind, we're in, we're in, like, Arctic waters up there. And he's like, yeah, you guys can't use the boat more than, like, three hours a day because I'm a piece of shit, but <laughs> you guys can take the skiff. So it's just me and these two guys, Johnny and Mitch, driving the boat, setting the lines, chasing the sharks, everything, all day long, freezing cold, no cover on the boat, just just doing everything ourselves. It was bonkers difficult. <laughs> so, so Forrest, when... Uh when you sent a very cryptic message that simply said, I won't be recording this week. And then Peter calls me and he's like, oh no, he's like, is Forrest mad? Like, did I do something? I was like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm guessing he's uh, no, I, unbelievably I, stressed out working 18 hours correct. a day. I thought he listened to the last podcast and was upset at just exactly how much shit was given to him throughout <laughs> for like 50 minutes straight. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sorry I rattled you like that, Peter. That never even crossed my mind. I haven't even listened to it yet. I just, uh, what Pat, Patrick's assessment was 100% accurate. I was so overwhelmed and stressed. And Patrick knows this and kind of talk about it too much as much as I'd love to. It came down, we had two weeks to find a specific animal for this shoot. And uh, it came down to the wire. The night before we left oh. around 1 a.m., we, we got it. Nice. So two weeks of just massive stress, like, hair falling out, like screaming at the guys 16 hours a day to try and, you know, help get it. And we got it the night before we were scheduled to leave. That's huge. You know what I like about that is that when this airs, it'll be real. It won't be a bullshit act out. You really actually found it at the end of the fucking episode. And then you don't have to recreate everything. You know, you guys fake everything and do all that shit in TV. Everything. Not you particularly. Yeah. I'm talking about Patrick and shitty reality TV he makes. Yeah, no, no. We're we're mostly graphics and green screen. That's all we are on <laughs> Extinct or Alive. Big graphics budget. So did you use the surfboard that you... Uh, that you were so excited oh, about? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Used the jet board, cruised around the glaciers, uh, 
Definitely had some orcas around. Wow. Uh, it was yeah, it was epic. Nice, it was epic. So Prince William uh, Sound, how do you how do you get there? Because the pictures are unbelievable on the jet board. <laughs> Forest. Yeah, look, I got to tell you, I have traveled to sixty something countries, and Prince William Sound in Alaska is one of the most stunning places on earth. I don't there. I don't know why the whole thing isn't like one of the wonders of the world. It's just so strikingly beautiful up there. You have these snow-capped mountains with these jagged, harsh cliffs and this deep blue water with these green wooded forests all around. I mean, it's just stunning. So to get there, we flew to Anchorage, got in a car and drove six hours to Valdez and then got in a boat and went about nine hours to a glacier, uh, which was where our first lead sent us. And then from there, about another four hours back to um, this lodge, which we stayed at. Uh, to run operations out of, which was just this total standalone little wooden, uh, super rudimentary facility in the middle of the woods, uh, on the beach, in one of the sounds. It was stunning. Nice. So you'd mm-hmm. recommend people go there, like take a vacation there? Oh, yeah. Especially like anybody right now that, you know, is stuck. If you're in the state of Alaska and you have the ability to drive without, you know, getting on a plane or affecting people with regards to travel and coronavirus, it is a wonderful place to go. It's so beautiful. So let me ask you this. So Mark, our, our DP, got a respiratory... Like, did he get a COVID test? Uh, so he got one on the way out because that was the only way we could do it. So what happened was Mark has been shooting in the desert for this California project that he's got. He's doing a natural history project. And mm-hmm. he's just spent the last three weeks in 95-degree heat all day, every day, sleeping there, living in the desert, chasing these animals around with his camera. And he got home, packed all his shit, and got on a plane to Alaska. And literally the first thing the first morning, him and I got in the water, which was about 38 degrees, and spent seven hours in it. And we were both just shivering, blue, teeth chattering. You know, it doesn't even matter how thick our wetsuits were. You're not staying warm in that water. Damn. And uh, I think we think myself and, and the the medic, Josh, who was there. Josh Romero was there, Patrick. Right, right. Um, we both think that he had a respiratory infection. It was just his body reacting to such a drastic change. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. But he was down for like seven days straight, like literally a, like on death's door kind of thing. Like had to bring food to his room and we had to isolate him because none of us wanted to get sick. And uh, oh, yeah. it was just kind of a mess. And then he started to feel better and about five days in. And then we're like, all right, come out and work, but like st- keep your distance. Like don't come on the boat. Just go shoot B-roll, look for bears, stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, and then he relapsed and he went back into two more days of feeling like garbage. So it was, we're like, shit, man, do we have to get this guy out of here? And we, we called the hospital in Valdez and we called the helicopter service to figure out evacuation. Oh, God. Yeah, no, it was all the way there. And, and with him down it, all the weight fell onto just three of us on our shoulders. Um, which sucks because Mark's an asset, as you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, I, after going through the rounds, it was just like, don't evacuate him because the process of evacuation will expose everybody to the virus. Like, there's no real way to get him out of there because helicopter couldn't land, had to be on a boat, which meant we had to put him on a boat, which was a closed cabin. So there's no way to, like, put him on a boat. You know, you couldn't leave him out in the yeah. air of the bow of the boat. And we couldn't all stay out in the air. It's just too cold. So it was like, all right, just leave him completely isolated. And if it passes in a week or so, you should be all right. And that's what we did. Um, and he, by the last the last four or five days of the shoot, he worked all day. So he came, came bounced back from it. But he definitely had a, had a rough go of it. That's a nightmare. Mm. Yeah, it is. <laughs> for, for you um, and for him. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I felt worse for him than I did for me. But I'm not kidding. I mean, the sun never goes down, right, when we're up there. So you don't feel like sleeping. So you end up, we were starting our days at about 5.36 in the morning to get out um, before the wind picked up. And then we were calling it a night most nights between 1 and 2 a.m. And we just worked straight. No lunch, nothing, just looking for animals, out shooting, chasing stuff around. And we just, I I got home, I slept 21 hours straight, just collapsed. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) Peter, how was was your July 4th? What'd you do? I mean, judging by your, your hair and face, you look like shit, by the way. It was great, though. Uh, I do have a question. I was just looking at the show doc that we all share whilst we're, uh, you know, it's a live Google document. Did one of you two just write, who is Peter? Clearly Patrick and no, Forrest. You, you just ignore that. Don't worry about that. You all right? Don't you worry about that. God <laughs> damn it. Just, I'm getting just go off ahead. the call. <laughs> you get, you... You skipped that. I wasn't even going to put it in the show doc because it's a it's the best listener review I've ever read. And I mean, now you you've blown the lid wide wide open. I think I'm just going to read. <laughs> let's it get now. let's get Wait, right into it. This is a since, review. Yeah, since oh, he was God snooping around it. the show doc. Yeah, why don't you just butt out, 
Peter. Fourth of July was um, great. Fucking great. Real good. <laughs> <laughs> So I was sitting on the plane, exhausted, miserable, went to the podcast, checked the reviews, and this brought the hugest smile to my face. So Q-Dog Too Cold, whoever you are, your review is mwah. It is perfecto. Mm -hmm. And the review reads Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. this. Title, who is Peter? Body. (laughs) Clearly, Patrick and Forrest hold this podcast down. I deeply enjoy their Make-A-Wish Foundation co-host, Peter, as well. (laughs) Well, he's... Peter, that's a nice compliment because he said he Mm -hmm. deeply enjoys you. Yeah, Yeah. that's good. You know, I missed that part because I was so offended by just the title. Uh, (laughs) Who is Peter? Listen, what's this guy's name again? It's Q-Dog Too Cold. cold. Q-Dog Too Cold. You are cold, motherfucker. I'm the professor. (laughs) The professor. I'm behind the scenes just because I don't have the looks or the talent like these two, I fucking am a technical wizard, motherfucker. I bring these podcasts to life every fucking week. Every Sunday, I put these fucking podcasts together. It takes me three, four, eight hours sometimes <laughs> to bring this type of entertainment to you technically. I know you don't see it, but I'm the fucking professor, motherfucker. Are you, God Peter, are it. you calling out Q-Dog too cold? I'd love to, get, I'd love to have him on the podcast to have a discussion <laughs> about He wants to have you. a debate with uh, a in. listener who was nice enough to leave a review. We would love, we would, I'd love to do this, Q-Dog too cold. I think yep. we should set it up. You guys, I agree. You guys know I've been drinking today and it's only noon, so. You've always been drinking I today. I never you stopped. You, are an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> I had some, some friends over. To uh, to the lake house yesterday, and uh, some kids, some adults, a lot of drinking, and okay. I opened the fr- the beer fridge today to count because I was the only one who drank beer. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you do? Eleven. Wow, that's impressive. Mm. That's a good number. What what were you drinking? Good number. <laughs> oh, just the two best beers known to man. Bud Heavy so and Coors. Bud Heavy and PBR? No, Coors Banquet was the second one. <clears throat> ah. But I think that's like over the course of like, you know, what is it, like 12 hours. Peter, let's do some math here. Yeah. How many calories are in a Bud Heavy? It's got to be 500 minimum. <laughs> no. No, it's not. It's, like it's not. 200. That's wrong. 200. I was, uh, yeah, 200 is probably, a, it's a little bit of an overestimate. I bet it's more like 150 to 180. But let's I mean, find out, shall I, we? I can tell that Pat. First of all, drank at least 25 yesterday because he looks bloated as shit. Also looks like he just woke Rude. up. Rude? God damn it. <laughs> I, I'm definitely feeling attacked today. You just called me bloated. I, dude, I've been literally smashing egregious workouts every day, sometimes two a day. Yeah, but when you're drinking 25 Bud Heavies a night, yeah, it no, doesn't fucking matter. That's no, true. It's true. That supersedes it. Uh, so we did go out. Me, me, and my my buddy who uh, he was my next door neighbor when I was three, so I've known him forever. We decided we were trying to catch fish after everyone went to bed off the dock, and right. they were jump. I mean, Forrest, fish were jumping all around us, like <laughs> the salmon spawn in Alaska, and we could not get one to bite. We not had, one. We had six poles in the water. We had lures. We had night crawlers. We <laughs> we tried fucking everything. So then we walked like fucking quarter mile up the hill to get the canoe came down (laughs) popped the canoe in uh the lake was pretty choppy and uh (laughs) just sort of let the current take us where it would and then we were in the middle of the lake now uh about two miles from shore in a very tippy canoe very tipsy and uh (laughs) We, were, we started laughing because we were like, we're not going to make it back. And then we were laughing so hard that we were shaking the canoe. Um, and so we finally got back in and decided to call it a night. But no fish. Didn't catch a Fishless. single fish the entire oh, day. What a disappointment. Pales in comparison to Forrest's story of being in the middle of, where were you again? Where the boat was just getting knocked around and you almost killed three people? Oh, the Channel Islands. The Channel Islands. Islands. take it easy on almost killed three people. They're all fine. Pat's fucking drunk in, in a canoe in the middle of a fucking calm lake, cackling like a hyena. It's just, it's a good visual to compare these two things between the two of you. <laughs> I gotta say, when when they when you look at like history and it's like, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, the first people to colonize New New Zealand, for example, they crossed the ocean in these primitive canoes, or like, you know, the Mayans when they when the drought hit Mexico, the Yucatan Peninsula, and they 
cross the Gulf of Mexico in canoes. It's like, how does anyone get anywhere in a fucking canoe? It's a terrible, it's a terrible craft. Speaking of uh, colonizing New Zealand, what would you say, and I'm you stay with me now, what would you say is the most terrifying thing if an army of blank were to attack you? What would be terrifying to you? Name an animal. I'd go with... Domestic. I would go with bats. Bats? An army of bats, yeah. I would go with grizzly bears. (laughs) Okay, not a domestic animal, neither one, but that's okay. Um, Oh, domestic idiot. Pat, what the hell are you fucking talking about over there? New Zealand doesn't have bats? I know plenty of people who house bears. Oh, a domestic (laughs) animal. (laughs) As in a cow or a chicken. Okay, okay. (laughs) Do it Horses. Horses. Horses? An army of horses, oh, that'd be terrifying. Okay. I'll go Skittish. with hybrid dog wolves. Wolves. Well, let me ask you this. Let me pose a hypothetical to you. Let's say you live in a town of 4,000 people in suburban New Zealand. Little small town. It's, it's nice. It's quaint. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you go into lockdown, right? COVID <laughs> hits. Oh, my God. Time to stay indoors. When you reemerge, there are around 250 chickens overtaking the city oh, man. terror or no terror <laughs> I, mean, I, I can't believe it even made made it across your desk there sir this is news by the way this is how boring the world has but, become an army of feral chickens has overtaken a suburban town in new zealand <laughs> whoever wrote this article has never been to key west you walk out of Why any bar in key west and there's 30 <laughs> roosters pecking at your shoelaces <laughs> I, I feel like I, I wouldn't be too scared of these chickens i'd probably see if i could get some eggs Cook up a nice breakfast, maybe maybe get a few for dinner. What like what are they gonna do? Is it just the noise that scares you? Here's the thing: Have you ever been to New Zealand? This is a nation of soft, very timid people. They are scared <laughs> of chickens. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was pretty funny though. So what happened was there there were like 25, 30 local chickens in this little town, and you know they used to get managed. I'm sure the odd one would get hit by a car, or someone would go eat one or something, and then everybody went into lockdown. For three weeks, six weeks, whatever New Zealand did, came back out, and there were three hundred of them roaming around. So nobody had been culling these chickens, yeah. and their population had just spiked, basically taking over the town. So if you're that guy and you step out, ah, like stretch in the morning, yawn, kind of open your eyes, and there's just fucking two hundred chickens everywhere. Yeah. Are these all aggregate? It's like what the fuck? I would be like, I'd just go back inside and start drinking. Professor. It's like a Stephen King movie. <laughs> I like how Peter just tagged his thing with professor. <laughs> Are you going to start Hashtag. doing that every time? <laughs> I'm going to Every try. time you drop a knowledge bomb. <laughs> so Forrest, while you were off swimming around with orcas, I'm not joking. I had the number one scariest animal encounter of my life two nights Ooh. ago. What? That's saying a lot coming from you. Yeah. It was legit because... Well, let me let me tell you the story. And I'm going to let you guess. I know I already told Peter what it was because I was ranting and raving after it happened. It's a good one. Okay. I had a near-death encounter. So uh, this is a couple days ago. A couple of my friends brought their kids over to swim, right? And we see this little, real tiny little duckling. And it's like okay. sort of stuck on its own getting pushed around by the waves. Um, kind of in the corner of one of the docks here on the property. Like up against okay. the, the shoreline. Okay. It had obviously been separated from its its mama. Um, so we're like, oh, don't worry. Like, the mom will come find it. Like, it's best not to do anything. Um, you know, then, it, you know, night hits. The kids are gone. And I start thinking about that little duckling. So I'm like, should I go back and check? And my plan was, if, I, if it was still there by itself, I was going to try and call you to see what okay. you thought I should do. Um, sure. But I was like, you know, if it's still there 12 hours later, then it's it's probably toast. So I'll, I'm going to intervene. So I go go down there. It's pitch black. I have a, a pretty shitty flashlight. And I start quacking, making a little quack sound, <laughs> see if I can get a return. So okay. I'm just doing a quack. And then out on the <laughs> lake, I hear like a fucking serious, like angry quack coming back okay. from the middle, of, like not the middle of the lake, but like a few hundred yards out. And so I keep doing it and it's, it, the quack is coming closer. So I'm like, I wonder if this is the, the mom that's looking for the duckling, right? So I'm kind of panning the flashlight around trying to see where the, where the return quack's coming from. <laughs> the return quack. <laughs> and I pan over to the shoreline and I just see a pretty good set of eye shine, two eyes staring at me, right? Okay. No sooner do I see this eye shine than 
I hear it r- running along the shoreline, whatever it is, coming towards <laughs> towards me. you. Yeah, and okay. I'm and I'm sort of like crawling between low sticks and branches and stuff. So I kind of back up, <laughs> and I'm still panning the light, and all I see is the eye shine. It's blue, right? So I, it's not red. So I know it's not okay. a, a predator uh, okay, or a, a carnivore, I guess. Um, right. And then all of a sudden comes bombing in and there's this other sound in addition to the feet that sounds like a thwap, 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 like <laughs> something smacking the ground. It gets – I'm backing up and I start going, hey, because I don't know what the fuck this animal <laughs> is. It finally gets close enough to about within six to eight feet where I can see it in my flashlight. And it is a very angry – what would you you guess mama duck no no much scarier (laughs) guess though good Uh, much scarier i'm gonna go raccoon nope it's got a big set of teeth that it is gnashing and showing me (laughs) uh possum it was a beaver a beaver no kidding a big oh that's hilarious beaver fucking charged me dude that's hilarious i've never heard of a beaver doing that well he was probably angry about all the all the fictitious quacking all the fake quacking (laughs) that was happening he was very confused well there's what an awesome what an awesome encounter it was pretty gnarly and so uh i I told my brother whose house it is because he has fences around his trees because the beavers will take them and he then directed me to a horrific youtube video where a guy is playing with the beaver, he's pulling the tail of the beaver, and the beaver uh-huh. turns around and bites him on the thigh and takes a oh, chunk yeah. the size of a softball out of the thigh. Oof. And yep. then uh, in, the co- in the comments of the video, it explains that the guy died because it severed his femoral artery. Oh, I believe that. Goodness. I, so on a, on a lighter note of beaver attacks, I heard a story <laughs> once about a guy who – so he hit a beaver in his car. Right, and he pulled over. He's like, "Oh shit, I killed that yeah, thing." Yeah, this is lighter. And I, no, just wait, just stay with me now. Stay with me now. And he pulls over, and he's like, "All right, I, uh, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna at least skin it. You know, be a cool hat or something like that." So he, he goes, pulls his car over. This is somewhere, somewhere in the south, I presume. And uh, he pulls his car over, walks back along the highway, and sees the beaver lying on the side of the road. So he goes down in the ditch and grabs a beaver. He picks it up by the tail and he lifts it up to examine it. And as he holds it up, looking at this believed dead beaver, it comes back to life, launches towards him, and wait for it, bites his nipple clean <laughs> off. <laughs> that is Ooh. that is a much lighter note because all he lost was a, a nipple, which who really cares anyway? Right. Male nipple. They're nothing. They don't even do anything. They shouldn't exist. Let's do a deep dive on that someday and just talk about why men have nipples. I think that's a book. The male nipple? Yeah. But what I what I think is pretty hilarious here that I've I've been noticing a trend is that Pat's like a like a pussier version of you, Forrest. <laughs> like you're off fighting alligators and snakes and crocodiles, and he's fucking running away from a beaver. You don't want to fuck with a beaver, dude. I mean, it's it uses its teeth to take down trees. Imagine if it thought your leg was a tree. Do you know? what a human foot can do to a ground animal like that. <laughs> You're a fat, so, slow drunk. It's an animal <laughs> that lives and survives in the wild. It's okay, so, okay, okay pussy forest. Peter, I, I, I will take that, and I will hold that against Patrick for the remainder of our future. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, secondly, to Patrick's slight defense, and the last thing I want to do is defend him in any way, <laughs> is mustelids, as in like, uh, you know, weasels, ferrets, beavers don't fall into this category, but that type of animal are, I would say, the most terrifying. If you the offer me terrifying? the opportunity, listen to me now, <laughs> stay with me now. If you said to me, go and catch that 17-foot crocodile, blink of an eye, I'm like, no problem, you got it. You say, go get that 12-foot king cobra, easy. You say, hey, go grab that wild ferret over there, and I am del- I am double-guessing myself a yeah. hundred times out of a hundred. They are terrifying, and I'll tell you why. If you've ever tried to hold a wild mustelid, and I've caught a few a few different weasels, it is absolutely <laughs> impossible. There is not one space on that animal's body that you can hold that it cannot bite and attack you. Not behind the right. neck, not by the tail, not by the legs. They are super maneuverable. They're lightning quick, yeah. and they will chew the Jesus out of you. I mean, they are terrifying. If, right. if weasels were 15 feet long, they would be the dominant force on Earth. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me ask you this. If... If I said to you, you've got to catch and handle one of these three wild animals, rank them in order. A beaver, 
Full grown, full grown. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not Terrifying. a baby beaver. No baby a beaver? beavers. A mongoose or a fox. How would you rank those oh, three? Fox would be the easiest and still terrifying. Um, <laughs> by the way, a full-grown beaver gets 60 pounds, so this is not a small animal. Dude, the um, way that its tail was hit, it was smacking its tail on the ground, it was like yep. causing like a legit thud. Like, dude, I thought a bear was coming. It sounded like a fucking <laughs> bear huge. was coming. Yeah, <laughs> They're huge, yeah. So sorry, it was fox, beaver, what was the third and one? And a mongoose. Mongoose. So I would go... Fox first, mongoose second, even though they're also really gnarly. And the beaver is the scariest one. I'm not kidding. If that if that sixty pound rat takes gets a hold of you, you are in so much trouble. You're you're <laughs> fucked, dude. Yeah. It's it, no thank you. There's a reason I focus on reptiles. And for all the listeners out there that think I'm cool or tough or brave, and that's probably one of you total, um, <laughs> for for dealing with like sharks and reptiles, they are so much easier than small mammals. Small mammals are terrifying. Yeah. They, dude, the way they move, they're just so quick. Like there's nothing, us as humans, we've got nothing on the agility of, you know, a beaver just looks like a fat bowling ball. But like, <laughs> totally. I wanted nothing to do with this. And then it's funny, I was I was raging and I was like, man, that beaver just charged me on my own property. And so and I was thinking Teach about... Teach him a lesson. And then I started wondering if, may, if maybe it was rabid, because that just doesn't seem like normal behavior. So I considered going out with a bow. My buddy has a bow. Uh, okay. We thought about going out last night to hunt said beaver, because I <laughs> my concern is, you know, there's, there's a lot of dogs and kids around here. Like, if that was someone else, they might have gotten... Uh, lost a leg but we thought better of it and ho- hopefully it doesn't kill any children you thought better of it once you sobered up <laughs> Go yeah, bow hunting beaver is, is i appreciate yeah. i appreciate the the alpha alpha mentality and appreciate far more that you left it in peace because i'm sure he was just like fuck you this is my area right I'm not gonna hurt any kids right he right. is a beaver after all <laughs> you thought you- if you google if you google beaver fatalities my guess is there's, there's not <laughs> there's a whole it's, lot it's the it's one a- yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so did you have any did you run into any cool mammals you see any moose or bear when you were in alaska Oh yeah! Oh man! Well, Alaska is full of mammals, both below and above the surface. Um, we had—I got to—I'm just gonna blow. I'm just gonna blow it. It's Shark Week, don't sue me. Um, <laughs> we had the most incredible encounter with not just a pod of orcas. I've seen orcas a dozen times or so in my life. We—it was one in the morning. No, sorry, it's about—I take this back. We left at one in the morning. It was about eight thirty at night, and. We're walking back. It's me, Mitch, and JQ. We brought in this kid, JQ, to help us halfway through the shoot because we were so shorthanded. Right. Mm. And it's uh, it's me, Mitch, JQ, and Johnny, the four of us. And we're walking back from the fish cleaning area. We've been cutting fish in the same area every night so that the bears stay in that part of the camp. And uh, we're using the fish for bait. So anyway, we're cutting this halibut that Johnny and I had caught. And uh, we're walking back. I'm looking out. It's beautiful, like, like evening in Alaska. Water's dead calm. And I see four fins just cruising by like a half mile offshore. And I go, fins, fins. You know, we're out there looking for sharks. And uh, all you see is the speck of fins in the distance. And so all of a sudden, in unison, all four of us take off sprinting to the skiff. And we hop, hop in the do- off the dock into the skiff and just zoom out there. And to be honest, like we're, we're less than 100 meters off the dock until I see a blow. And I'm like, oh, that's not a shark. But, you know, we're, we're already in route. And there's no way we're going to not continue um, and so we, we put out and we see this pod of six orca and I'm like, Oh, this is great. You know, I've seen orca before nothing like seeing orcas they are beautiful. They're the wolves of the sea. And we say, you know, we kind of don't want to harass them. We don't want to change our behavior. Let's just like throw the drone up and follow from a distance. So we follow from a distance for a little while and, uh, we throw the drone up and all of a sudden Mitch on the drone goes, dude, there's a whole lot more than six. And he lands the drone and the buzz of the drone goes away and it's just silent for a second. And you hear And you realize we were completely encompassed by different pods of orca. There was like 10 or 12 different groups of five or six orca. And we just sat there in in the skiff. And they were all heading in one direction towards the end of the sound that we were camped out in. So we we actually, I I was driving. I pulled the, the, I started the engine. I said, hang on, guys. And I went to the end of the sound where there's a river that dumps into the sound. And we burned over there as quickly as we could, shut the engine off and just waited. And about 20 minutes later, all of these groups of orcas joined up to feed at the river mouth right near where the skiff was parked. And 50 or 60 orcas all came together wow. three feet away from us at some times, completely under the boat, all around us, and fed right around us with us just basically in the middle of it 
for four and a half hours. Holy we sat shit. there for four and a half hours with 50 or 60 orcas, 10 feet off the bow, just cruising around, feeding on salmon, playing. They were breaching uh, everything. I mean, it was absolutely one of the most striking things I have ever seen in the animal kingdom. Nice. <laughs> Sorry, I have to ask this, but did you, did you shoot it like a scene? Like, did you get a scene we, or was it just B-roll? No, we shot it like a scene. We shot it like what it was. Like, we, we sprinted to the skiff and loaded into the skiff, and it was, like, too late to, like, cover that. Sure. But on the ride out there, I was like, you know, we've just seen fins. We're, we're tra- tracing, chasing them down now in the skiff. We're going to see if we can get on them. It could be the salmon sharks, which is one of the animals we're looking for. Um, and then as we got close, like, it unfailed. It un- we unveiled um, what it was, which was that, oh, we're seeing orcas. Sure, like, look sure. at the blow. Mm. And how exciting is this? And then we... I mean, we probably shot like three terabytes of orca. Right, right. (laughs) Did they take any interest in the boat at all? Were they curious about Um, the boat? They were. They. They. I've seen them be curious before. In this instance, at first, they just chose to stay away from it. But then, as all the groups synced up and they started kind of competing for food, they they didn't ignore. They didn't stay away from the boat. They just completely ignored it. So if the salmon were right under the boat, they were right under the boat. And if the salmon were 10 feet away from the boat, they were 10 feet away from the boat. They just, they, they realized that the boat wasn't going to affect them in any way. And they just completely ignored it to the point that I would say we witnessed truly 100% organic behavior. Like they just couldn't have cared any less that we were there. Nice. It's amazing, man. Yeah, it was fantastic. How could you tell they were competing for like did you see any competitive behavior that, like, were, was one group like, ah, I don't like this other group? Yeah, I don't know if competing is quite the right word. They were they were all feeding on the salmon, and because none of us had grabbed our dive gear, which I sincerely regret, um, it's hard to say whether they were in competition or they were working together or they were all just feeding collectively. It's really hard to say what was actually going on beneath the surface, but there were big bulls. I mean, you know, bulls whose, whose dorsal fins are taller than I am, seven-foot-tall dorsal fins um, to give you an aspect of their size. And then there were little babies. There were, there were, there were calves and moms. There were little babies learning to breach, like jumping and slapping the water. I mean, there was just this, it was just a symphony of orca behavior. It was amazing. Awesome. So, so we have that to look forward to then, because we'll see that right coming up out on the, we will. That's awesome, dude. Fuck. We will. And actually, because this just got announced, uh, last week. No. Yeah. Like three, four days ago. Um, we can officially talk about it now. So the thing that we were shooting for, the second one that Patrick and I will have running this year is um, Shark Week, ladies and gentlemen. Nice. Shark Week 2020. We have two shows coming up, uh, one that takes place in Africa and the one that we just wrapped up in Alaska. So make sure you watch them, goddammit. Pat, did you not know when it was coming out? You didn't hear, hear the news? You're, you're so far off the grid at this point. When was the last time you went to a fucking Walmart or something? Uh, well, I did drive. I made the 15-minute drive to go to the grocery store yesterday, got there, realized I hadn't brought a wallet. <laughs> That's the worst. Yeah, drove back. And then uh, at that point, I had to then settle for the really shitty grocery store that's next to the huge awesome one. It was like dirty. Nobody was wearing masks. Uh, it, was, it was a fucking shit show. Hey, uh, Forrest. Quick question. Yeah. Did you encounter any uh, land-faring animals while you were in Alaska? Sure did. Sure did. Um, as we were leaving camp uh, to hike to this river mouth looking for a salmon spawn, we uh, we had a very large brown bear um, pop up from behind like a trailer, like a boat trailer. So there's this, this old lodge camp, right? And there's just like, it's hard to, it's hard to explain, but you envision these settlements in Alaska where kind of everything just gets dumped, right? Once it's brought there, it's there. Yeah. And there's like old trailers and, and wood piles and uh, some old welding stuff. And sure enough, I'm like doing my, my you know, chest puffed out hero walk in the front of the crew. <laughs> and I'm like, this way, guys. Yeah. And uh, we come around a corner and right beside this boat trailer is this massive male brown bear um and we he popped up about 15 20 feet away from us and uh it was pretty funny because this is so typical of my crew and i and and this is where you guys say i have this you know special special piece of my brain that's missing (laughs) and uh the bear the bear comes from around the corner and he we both startle each other a little bit right and the bear freezes and i freeze and then i go come with me guys come with me and i start approaching the bear and i look back and the rest of the crew is running the opposite direction and i'm running right towards the bear and it's just me alone running at the bear while everybody else and i'm mitchell get over here and he's like okay and he like start, stops in his tracks and turns and starts running towards me <laughs> the bear started running towards you no the bear froze and we froze and then he i wanted to get closer because that's what i do right. so i started approaching him from a tactful line 
But as I looked back, the uh, the rest of them had backed up like 150 feet already. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's fucking nuts. As you're supposed yeah, to. You're missing the amygdala, the part of the brain responsible for fear, professor. So what happened then? So yeah, so we approached it and there was just a just a brief moment of standoff where the bear was looking at me and I was looking at it. And I said to Mitch, just hold, just hold. And he held right behind me. And at that, it was at that point that the bear either could have charged or retreated. And uh, he chose to retreat. So he, re- he, he froze, we froze, we approached about 15, 20 feet away, and then the bear backed off and went back into the woods, and we, we, we held. You know, if we had chased him at that point, he would have come at us. That's pretty oh, yeah. close. 15, 20 feet yeah. is still pretty fucking close to get. Yeah, no, I'm, I don't have a, a lot, lot of experience with bears, but enough to kind of know where the limit line is drawn. And mm-hmm. we were at it. You know, we gave the bear the opportunity yeah. to make the decision as to whether he was going to charge or whether he's going to retreat. Yep. And he retreated and then stopped, right? So he moved back another maybe 40, 30 feet into the woods line and then stopped and watched us. Mm. And if we had advanced at that point, he would have been like, oh, they're in pursuit, right? And then he would have turned around and attacked. But instead, we just held and let him take off. And it was great. Yeah. Did the bear, <laughs> were you able to smell it? Could you smell him? No. So we were, we were perfectly downwind, which I think is why. I and mean, that was just a chance encounter. It was also one of the reasons that I did approach. Um, Sorry, so being downwind, you think we would have smelled him, but we didn't. And more importantly, he didn't smell us. And, you right. know, they don't typically have great eyesight. So it was uh, it was really just a bit of luck that the wind direction and where we saw him worked out the way it did. Yeah, when I was doing some bear project in Alaska a couple of years ago, um, you know, we'd obviously try to position ourselves, you know, based on the wind as much as you could. And we had a, a, a local uh, Inuit guide who was really good at that. And I didn't understand exactly what he was doing. I just did what he said, but, uh, you know, we'd be sitting with super long, like 1600 millimeter lenses, um, Mm -hmm. in these areas where the the bears would traverse through this grassy fields. And a hundred percent of the time you would see them smell you first, right? Mm -hmm. So you'd see them catch the smell. They'd get curious. Then they would stand up and you could see their noses moving as they're sniffing. Mm -hmm. And they would stand up on the two hind legs and look, before they would see you. Um, cause yep, they're, yeah, exactly. I think their eyesight is something like it's, it's pretty close to the equivalent of a human's during the daytime. Yeah. It's pretty weak. And, and we, we, and you, you've experienced the counter of this, right? Where they smell you, they stand up and they look for you. Right. We totally surprised this animal. And that's why we popped up 20, 25 feet away from right, it in the right. first, first instances. <laughs> Cause the wind was blowing in a perfect direction and that we were walking against. I mean, it was just, it couldn't have been better from that situation. And honestly, because I don't like vilifying animals. If it had been the reverse and we had the wind had been at our backs, we probably never would have seen the bear. Right. He probably would have smelled us when we were 100 yards away, scampered off into the bushes, and we would have just kept trotting on our merry way. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we got really lucky because I love working with large predators like that. So it was awesome. Nice. All right. So what's what's in the news this week, guys? Anything uh, anything catch your attention? <clears throat> I've, I've, I've seen a couple good things. Um one that struck out to me is, as most of our listeners will know, we discovered a tortoise in the Galapagos, one that was believed to be extinct for 114 years, the Fernandina Island tortoise. Sure did. But sure did. Fern. Mm-hmm. Yep, we did. And we took Fern to the breeding facility on Isla Santa Cruz. Well, something that popped up in my news feed this week that I loved was there's another tortoise, Diego, who lived, and we actually saw him. I don't know if you remember, Pat. Yeah. He was the one who lifted his neck way up at me. Um, he's a hundred years old. He's been at that facility for a very long time since the 1960s, I believe. And Diego has finally been retired from being a stud. And what I mean by that is he has produced more than 2000 giant tortoise offspring since he started in the breeding program, um, of Espanola tortoises, which if it wasn't for this program, just like with fern, Mm. that species would likely be extinct. And so (laughs) for the last 60 years or so, Diego has just been laying pipe more than a plumber (laughs) and uh, setting out some offspring. And uh, he's finally been retired and is going back to live out the rest of his days on Espanola. So just to clarify that timeline, Diego was 40 years old. Mm Mm-hmm. He was bummed about it because he'd had his his fortieth birthday hit him hard. You know what I Over mean? Over the hill, yeah, yeah. He was like, "God, I'm forty. It just I remember when I was twenty two, just like that. It just went like that. He was <laughs> he was he was scooped up and brought to the breeding facility at age forty, where he yep. then spent sixty years having sex. 
Just going to pound town. Laying pipe, as Forrest put it. Created it, two, it's laying more pipe than a plumber. Peter. Created 2,000 offspring in the 60 years. Yep. And yep. now he was just set free back into his homeland to go frolic with his 2,000 kids for the next <laughs> yep. 100 years. And it says this in the article. It says frolic. Diego has the largest smile on his face that any other tourist. <laughs> it doesn't say that. <laughs> but so they he can live like 200 years, right, Forrest? These Galapagos tortoises? They could, yeah, I think 200 is a bit of a stretch, but okay. up to 150 for sure. All right, so, so he's got another 50 years to just hang out and, and frolic. And, and he may even do some fucking when he's there. He was born in 1920, the fucking right. the golden age in America. Yep. He's That's seen right. two world wars. <laughs> Prohibition. <laughs> but how cool is that? To be like, you know, if Diego is a case study for what we did with Fern... You know, if they if they're able to find a male, or if they want to bring us back to find a male, seeing as they weren't very successful for 114 years, <laughs> uh, but uh, if they're able to find a male of the Fernandina Island tortoise, and you know, him and Fern can set the first group of offspring, and then because there's no genetic genetic bottlenecking in these species, you know, it can continue from there. Diego would be the perfect case study for what we've done. And they, you know, like they said, like it says in the article, he made 2,000 offspring himself. Like that is, in, that has saved a species by him being in this very nice, cushy facility for 60 years. Right. And that's an amazing thing. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're killing it there. Uh, I, when we were there, we met, what was the guy's name who was the keeper of uh, Lonesome George? Mm-hmm. Don Fausto. Don Fausto. So this guy, like, you know, what is he, probably 80 now? Uh, yeah, he's old school. Had a cool hat on, had a real cool vibe. Uh, yeah. But this guy essentially, you know, he he's like built this program that basically right, took the Galapagos right. tortoises and saved them. And uh, we, we had a chance to meet with Don Fausto and Forrest told him we were going to Fernandina. And uh, Forrest, a- ask me like I'm Don Fausto if, if I think you're going to find the Fernandina tortoise. Certainly. So Don Fausto, you know, we've come to the Galapagos, to try and look for this animal that hasn't been seen in 114 years, the, the Fernandina Island tortoise. You're such an expert on these animals. Do you think there's any chance that we're going to find one? <laughs> no, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly how that went. Just, just blatant, just complete blatant disregard for any hope or faith in us whatsoever. Oh, he man. took one look at you, he took one look at me, and he just was like, that's, come on, guys. <laughs> What are Let's you doing go. here? Let's go Just get go a Mai home. Tai and call it a day. <laughs> uh, I saw a story that's close to my heart because um, I like meat, but I feel bad about factory farming and, and all of that bullshit. I think it's, it's just insane. There was a study recently that uh, studied the conservation effects of lab-grown meat. Essentially, it says that creating a billion quarter-pound patties would require 1.2 million cows living for three years each, taking up a bunch of space, causing a bunch of pollution. Sure. To create the equivalent amount of meat, it could be grown with one muscle tissue of one cow in 18 months. The equivalent no of No way. That. Yeah. I think that the future of meat is this lab-grown meat. What do you think, Forrest? I completely agree with you. Uh, and simply not be... Even though I think... Anyone that hears about lab-grown meat goes, no thanks, that sounds disgusting. Right. When you take into account the lack of space left for mass agriculture and farming and ranching, um, live, livestock has such a massive footprint, both in the space of global warming and deforestation and habitat loss. I think that lab-grown meat is the future. Also, I don't know how everyone else feels. I don't know how you guys feel about it. If I order like a cheap cheeseburger, if I go to In-N-Out and get a double-double, I feel guilty. Not just because of the calories, because I know the negative impacts on the environment that that burger has had. And that's one of the reasons I don't do it very often, right? And taking health out of it, if I knew that my lab-grown meat had no negative effects on the environment, I would absolutely increase my red meat consumption because I love it. It tastes amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and it's it's pretty good for you. You're a young man growing muscle. You got, you, got to get, right. you got to get that red meat. I think so. I'm all for it, but, but, but I don't want to eat it. That's crazy yeah. to think that the UCLA study showed, think about that, 1.2 million cows living for at least three years each, taking up 9,000 square kilometers. It's crazy. Uh, that that could all be done in one lab with the muscle tissue of one cow. 1.2 million. 
to one muscle tissue of one fucking cow. It's incredible. But what's the cost? I think that's got to be the that's got to be the restrictor right now, sure. right? What does the burger patty cost that's made in the lab compared to the one? Right. And, and how do we subsidize it? Like, how does a government subsidize it so that it is actually more effective and more cost-friendly to eat that lab-grown meat than, than the cow. You know what's interesting? One of the biggest things that people don't talk about, and one of my favorite topics, is the poop, right? And what I'm talking about mm. is all of the excrement coming from these big cattle ranches. People think that it's, it's terrible, it's almost, and it is, but they think it's terrible because it's destroying the environment. One of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize is that cattle poop is super nutrient-rich. And it can actually, in some cases, have positive effects. But when it's left unmanaged, what happens is it causes massive, like, algal and vegetation imbalances. And that's what damages the environment. So if you... And actually, there's a story about that that I saw that I'm going to pull up in a second here. But if you, um, if you think about getting rid of that much waste, that decreases global warming, that helps with nutrient blooms that are problematic. But on the flip side of that, I saw a very interesting story recently in South Africa where a bunch of scientists studied hippo versus cattle dung in the ecology of rivers, and they found that in areas where rivers are damaged, if they use the highly nutrient-rich cattle feces over the hippo feces, it can have positive effects on the river health, but there's a tipping point. If it's left unmanaged, this, these micronutrients are going to cause massive algal and vegetation imbalances. But think of, I just think it's kind of cool that we can use the waste of cows to actually do habitat restoration and bring river ec ecology back into a good place. I just think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. The question will be, you know, will people be willing to pay fourteen ninety nine for a double-double, as you said? I mean, if I'm only eating it once every month or whatever, I'd pay it. Yeah, but what about your Taco Bell? Well, that's, <laughs> that's very true. Good point. Because you, you like to get a lot of Taco Bell. You like to splurge, so you get $20 yeah. worth of Taco Bell. Well, Would you be 30. down to go to Taco Bell and... Okay, really? 30 Sometimes. Have you done that? I literally, well, I mean, it's usually well, between a couple people, uh, but yeah. A lot of people like Taco Bell. Their business has been booming since coronavirus. I've seen a couple different stories about how Taco Bell is just smashing it. Yep. Uh -huh. <laughs> what, it sure when is. When you go, you know, just pretend that we're the, uh, can I take your order, please? Yeah. Okay. You, what are you ready, ready for this? this? Yeah. Well, Run me through $30 worth of Taco Bell. First, I decide how many chalupas I want. So it's, it's typically at least two because they're the best item on the menu at Taco Bell. That's like and the crispy pita type bread, right? It's like As a fried dough bread. I'm actually, uh, I've been researching how to create these on my own. <laughs> it's one of the only items on the Taco Bell menu that has a unique feature. And it's not just a different combination of beef, cheese, <laughs> fucking lettuce. Because the tortilla is different. They like deep fried or something. So anyways, I get, I'd get uh, a few chalupas. They're almost $5 a piece. That's already $10. Uh, the price of regular tacos, I usually get four of those. Too soft, too hard. Doritos okay. Loco, one or two, depending. And then, What is a Doritos Loco? It's, the, uh, it's a hard shell taco where the hard shell is a Dorito. It's delicious. Uh, Can't believe you've never had one. I almost want to quit healthy. the show. You know, and then I'll just look at the menu. There's this, uh, I forget what it's called. It's like a five-layer cheesy beef burrito. It's delicious. The other day, I tested out their new uh, grilled cheese burrito. It was all right. What? It was fine. Yeah, they have a grilled cheese burrito. They're, they're, they're taking advantage of all the new customers during the pandemic and trying to come up with some wacky ideas. They got a new uh, volcano, spicy volcano meal of some sort that I'll probably try tonight <laughs> or tomorrow. <laughs> Real quick, can you guys hear that sound? That ticking? Is that a clock ticking? No, no, that's that's the sound of our listener count going down who have a refined palate <laughs> who think that your meal choice is disgusting. There's no ticking. Are you counting? Listen, what? All right. For whatever reason, I was really enjoying his Taco Bell reviews. I'd like to do maybe a new a new segment next week where you review a, a, a Taco Bell menu item live oh. on the air. Oh, that's a good that's idea. And you my enjoy good it. Idea. That's my You have dream. to bring it with you, though. Okay. I want you to eat it on air. No problem. You guys got to pay for it, though. Just That's post Postmates it to me for the, for the show. Deal. But that would require Done. preparation, so I highly doubt you will. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> have will okay. Battle Royale! <laughs> All right. So Battle Royale. It's that time, ladies and gentlemen, for the Battle Royale. Today... And I'm going to read exactly what Will wrote because it is a great, a great write-up. People misuse the term, quote, spirit animal, end quote, often. 
Most of the time, it's just an inanimate object or animal that describes their current mood. Us gentlemen, okay. you gentlemen, are the experts. Let's have you pick each other's spirit animals. Okay, so we, so we each pick the other two spirit animal. Spirit animal. And do we'll we pick our own as well? Mm, I don't think so. I okay, think that's so, unnecessary. So we are just assigning spirit animals to the other two people. One animal each. Yeah. Okay. You're up, Peter. This is, this is all you. So why don't you go? I'll start with Patrick because I've known him the longest. And I, okay, I know boy. quite quite a bit about his personality, just how he is in general. And we have lots of friends in common, you know, so we, we have ways of describing him behind his back when we, when we talk about him and the things that he does and the ways that he behaves. So he's a real see you next Tuesday. Yes, he is. And that is why, (laughs) that is why he has been coined the weasel of our group, but not just weasel, not just any weasel. (laughs) By the way, Forrest already said weasels are the most terrifying animal, so thank you. I did, I did. There is a weasel that is apparently an insatiable serial killer. It's a t- I just <laughs> typed in Google the most vile weasel. And, <laughs> and I, you can correct me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, but it is the, the least weasel. This weasel, small, like you meager, tiny, very small feet and hands. <laughs> <laughs> but it is vicious. Sharp tongue kills thousands of mice a year, and it's terrible. You're you're right about that. That is the least weasel. It's a European weasel of the mustelid family. Um, it's very cute. So, Patrick, you're you're clearly very cute. Thank you, guys. A yeah. cute, well, really, fucking thanks, weasel Peter. that kills a cute, a cute, cunning serial killer weasel. The sharp tongue. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. What's for okay. us then? Yeah, what, what am I, good sir? Professor. I've looked nothing up for this or done any research because I was so goddamn excited about that. <laughs> Forrest would be a crocodile because I know he thinks that they're stupid as fuck and moronic and that they can be wrangled and held down. They're just worthless. I know he thinks they're worthless. What are you I talking don't, about? I don't think that. I, I literally animal. praise them constantly. No, I know, yeah. but I'm saying, but but you talk about how <laughs> worthless they are. You talked about in a, in one episode where he had to select something about crocodiles. You said I would never select a crocodile just because I know how worthless they are, and that's how I feel on about land you. in a that's fight. That's how I feel okay. about you, and that is right, your spirit that. animal. To, I'll take that. To clarify, yes, you were talking about them being worthless in a fight on land. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Much like Forrest would be. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. But I'll drown the shit out of you. All right. Um, exactly. All right. Respond next, to that, Peter? bitches. Go, Forrest. While Pat Me? ponders this. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um... <laughs> I'll dig into you, Peter, yeah, seeing as uh, you're the one with the sharp, bitchy claws coming at us. Um, I will, uh, you know, I've, I've thought long and hard about this for the last 15 seconds while we <laughs> came up with this. And uh, Peter, you to me mm-hmm. are an iconic Pumba, the warthog. Just just quite lumbersome, um, a bit clueless, eating eating clueless. real bottom of the food chain gourmet like Taco Bell and insects. Dude. Um, yep. You know, you, you're insects, clumsy. grubs. They're called you're, grubs, uh, man. <laughs> you you're clumsy, you're a bit doofusy, but God, you're just so lovable. Ah, <laughs> Pumbaa, with you, everything's gas. <laughs> <laughs> Good sound effect. And for Patrick, to me, Patrick is a hyena. Ah, yes. And that has a negative connotation. It's my favorite animal. Gonna, I, it's it is my one of my one favorite, favorite animals animal. too. Another lion one, king so, animal, by the way. So let me let, let me let me tell you why. First of all, they're very clever. Mm-hmm. They're they're beautiful. <laughs> But they always wow. know how to get exactly what they want. And Patrick is, I've worked with him a long time. He always figures out how to get what he wants. And uh, they're very cunning. They're sly. They know how to move without being seen. And <laughs> if they want something, they're going to take it. And that is that is Papa P over there. He's the hyena. <laughs> Beautiful. I, I completely agree with that. I mean, that was just from a, a true biologist. He nailed it. You're a hyesel so far, a hyesel. Hyesel. <laughs> and, and I agree with your take on Peter, too. I mean, he, he really is sort of, he's very boorish. Gregarious. Bo- yeah. The number one word anyone would use, any Brit would use to describe you would be boorish. And, uh, I agree. He picked a wild boar. Mm. So that's, yep. that's smart. So, <laughs> all right. So I'm going to go, I'll, I'll start with, with Peter. Great. I am going to, uh, Peter, I think your spirit animal is and should be 
the blobfish. What? Um, it's, <laughs> That's so mean. It oh, is a beautiful animal. <laughs> yeah, I'm very hear, happy with the selection. Yeah, I mean the blobfish is uh, <laughs> the blobfish is known oh for God. its incredible buoyancy, mm-hmm. right? I'm because very buoyant. I float well. The, yes, you float very, very well. It's like. Even in a pool, it's like the Dead Sea when Peter yes. starts floating. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's salty, bro. The pasty hue of your skin is very similar to a blobfish. Pasty hue? Which the, blo- <laughs> the blobfish is also uh, known for. It has these gas bladders that it uses uh-huh. right. to maintain its buoyancy. And ah, you yeah. eat a lot of Taco Bell and true. have a lot of gas. Ah, yeah. This is so good. <laughs> uh, oh, God. You're, that you're, is the most insulting thing I have ever heard. You're not. I like it. I'm gassy, proud of but, it. I'm a gregarious yeah. fucking cuddle. What'd you call me? A ugly fish? Uh, no, you're not a cuttlefish. You are a blobfish. Oh, blobfish. Just, just Google image that quickly, Peter. I've just do your, seen just humor it. Us. I've just seen it. Just do it again. Do it again I've right seen now. Fine. Fucking blobfish. For, for a gregarious blobfish. For those who haven't seen a blobfish, we'll we'll post our favorite picture of a blobfish on social media. <laughs> uh, they are typically found in the waters around Australia, Tasmania, and New Zealand. Okay. Well, I've so never I mean, seen Wait, Forrest, have you ever seen a blobfish in the wild? God, I wish. No, I think they're pretty deep water. I think they're they generally are. a couple hundred feet down. I've never seen one. I, I don't know that there are any existing in aquariums or anything. They, God, I would love to see one. They live really deep. It says between two and 4,000 feet. Yeah, there you go. No. Because just like Peter, they're, uh, as Wikipedia describes it, the blobfish is primarily a gelatinous mass. <laughs> I, I, I do, I do appreciate that you've gone just pure superficial. Uh, you, this, this is a spirit animal. What has nothing to do with physical appearance, mate? I mean, what well, are you talking about? For us, sort of nailed the personality traits. I wanted to sort of, you know, do the whole thing where it's like the owner looks just like its pet. And so that's that's, oh that's sort of what I was going so for. Okay. Um, All right. Fair for enough. Forest, we'll put uh, a side by side comparison up of me and a blobfish. Please do. It's a real good idea. So for forest, I'm going to go with an animal that there are many of them uh, right around the lake house here. That's the bald eagle. Oh Ooh, God! You guys eagle. are such. So what the fuck? You guys are just. What? You called <laughs> Pat beautiful. He's calling you a god. The fucking symbol of freedom. This well, no, that's bullshit. not why. It's not because Forrest loves freedom. God damn okay. it. So if you see Forrest in the field when he decides he needs to, for whatever reason, uh, run and catch some sort of venomous snake or, you know, uh, relocate a baby possum or whatever the fuck he's doing, he moves really fast, right? He's very quick. Okay. okay. Uh, a bald eagle is known for its incredible speed. Right. Mm, Between 75 and almost 100 miles an hour, they're able to fly when Mm. they're hunting. Yep. The other thing that that I feel about Forrest that matches up with the bald eagle is the bald eagle is the most monogamous animal in nature. Oh, that's And and Forrest is very loyal to his friends. How are you going to spin this? Oh, Jesus. Right? (laughs) Really, I just... You guys want to be on the pod... (laughs) You want to do a new podcast about relationships (laughs) with each other? (laughs) Jesus. Carry on. This is absurd. I will, full di- full disclosure, I wanted to make yours sting even worse by just being super nice to Forrest. So this isn't because I love Forrest. This is being mean it, to you. No problem, it's both. weasel. It's both. But I do love the fact that bald eagles, they, they pick their mate. They live, they live really long. They pick their mate when they're two years old. And even if their mate dies the next day, they will never choose another mate. I feel like so, you're right. you're trying to manipulate him into something. Like you're you're trying to get it like like right after this, s- I'm gonna be like, "Hey, Forrest, can you loan yeah. me some money?" You are so <laughs> loyal to all your friends, man. By the way, can I borrow ten G's? Yeah, I swear to God, I'll pay you back, dude. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's great! All right, Good fellas. One. Well, I'm glad we were able to get this in after Forrest's text. We were worried we weren't going to get one in this week, but here we are. Yep. Sorry about that. But before we go, listeners. Near and far, go ahead and go on to iTunes. Leave us a review. Let us know whose spirit animal is most fitting. Whether it's Patrick as a hyena or a weasel, uh, <laughs> Peter as Pumbaa the warthog, or a blobfish. I think we all know the answer combo to that one. Combo of both. And <laughs> yeah, could be. Combo of both. Or myself as either a doofus crocodile or 
the majestic bald eagle because <laughs> this is fun. Um, I'm going to tell you guys right now. Just go ahead and vote for Peter as the blobfish. It's going to make everybody happier, <laughs> oh, <God>. um, except <laughs> Peter. Well, I'll, be, I'll be stoked. I'll be stoked. Oh, and what was the user's name who left the comment that Peter wants to uh, get into a debate with? PB and J, too cold. Suck my ass. What's his name? <laughs> That's I don't not, think that definitely was not that. Shoot, I got to pull it up quickly. Actually. Well, while you pull that up, let's, let's uh, not forget about the YouTube. We're going to start putting everything up on YouTube. Got some new graphics coming. It's going to pop. We're going to be in your face on YouTube. So don't forget to go and interact with us there in the comments. And uh, say what's up, man, because I will interact with you motherfuckers. And Q-Dog Too Cold, who left the wonderful um, short bus comment about, or sorry, Make-A-Wish Foundation about Peter, please do reach out to us because we would love to have you on the podcast to debate with Peter because he needs it. Who the fuck is Peter, man? Yeah. Who is he? Good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Yeah.